Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. All right, so I showed that video uh, today mainly just as a Lord of the Rings plug. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but this is kind of what we're going to see today. We're going to see, um, like, first it seems like it's this man, and then something begins to speak through the man. Um, and this is exactly, pretty much exactly what happens in the Bible, okay? Except it's not a king. Um, so uh, there are actually several references in the Gospels of Jesus casting out demons. Um, and each story, the man kind of talks at first, but then we begin to hear the demon behind the person, um, kind of like in the video. That's why I showed it. There was a reason. Um, and each time the, the demon, in every situation, the demon addresses Jesus um, and there is some significance to this later, which we'll discuss. And they always ask if he's come to destroy them. Um, they always know who he is, and they always know his power. And so we're going to read the most famous of those instances in Matthew 8, uh, 28 through 34. It says, When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Okay, <clears throat> I, I think most of us have heard this story before, um, but I'm going to set the scene real quick because I don't think we fully understand what this would have been like for the disciples, what this would have been like for the people that were there because we don't really... We can't picture where they're at. We don't really know what they believed at the time. And all this is important to know how they were feeling and how miraculous this was. Because I think we always picture just some crazy old man hanging out in a cemetery, right? So that's not very scary. Just some crazy old dude in a cemetery. Um, but it's a little bit different than that. Remember, they just crossed the lake in a storm and it told us it was nighttime. So this is nighttime when, when they come upon this area. And so it would be, and we have to remember, just like we did with the lake, it's pitch black in this area, okay? So we're going to simulate this by turning off the lights. All the lights. Except my iPad, I guess. I was like, where's that light coming from? Okay, so we always picture a cemetery, and this is real fire, in case you're wondering. Cemeteries are fairly clean and kept well, and there's a reason I'm doing this. There may be flowers in cemeteries, some large oak trees, right? It's very orderly. This is not a cemetery. These are tombs, okay? They, they would have looked more like this. Let me show my picture. This is the actual hillside of the tombs where they were, okay? You can go to the next one. They're just kind of holes in the mountainside. Go to the next one. I was like, what is that sound? There, there was still grass mowing in that day, so this would have been very accurate to what was going on, okay? So it's just these caves in the complete darkness. What's the next one? 
Is it the slab? Okay, you would say, no, that, that, you can go that last one, yeah. You, could, you might say that's a mine, but that's not a mine. It's a tomb. So Legolas says, if you're a nerd like me. Okay, and they would have been open, okay, and the sarcophagus would have just been sitting either inside something like this or on top. And kind of like in a mummified kind of state. Not quite like the Egyptians, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time going into that today. Okay, so there's all these sarcophagus or sarcophagi open, right? And this is where these guys, you can cut it to black again. This is where these guys are living, okay? It's dark. It's a mountainside. There's caves. There's dead bodies. And there's these guys staying in this area. They're in complete darkness, okay? And to fully understand how scary this is, we need to understand what they believed at that time concerning this type of thing. People were afraid to be outside in the dark alone. Not necessarily because they were scared of the dark, but they had beliefs. Like if you slept in an empty house at night, that was considered dangerous. In an empty house. If you were to greet anyone in the dark, it was perilous. So everyone, if you had a lantern or a torch or something, you were not to greet anyone that fell outside of the light of your torch or your lantern because they would believe if they were outside of the light of your or torch or your lantern, they might believe that they might, be, they might be a demon if they were outside your torch light. You would only speak to someone that fell within the light of your torch. Okay, so this is already a perilous time, a perilous place to be. They were very uncomfortable. They were probably like, oh, we just went through that storm and now we're in this area. Not to mention, you can hear this, these people screaming because it said, it said they would scream. Okay, so they, all right, you can turn the lights back on. Because I'm not going to do the whole thing like this, but. All right. So that was probably just as scary as a real thing, right? Did I pull it off? Yeah. Okay. I should have had recordings. They were like, ah! Because <laughs> that's how people scream. They're like, ah! All right. So let's, let's talk about the, the people themselves, okay? Um, I think when we talk about demon possession, I mean, I think everyone just pictures the exorcist or something, right? Um, or we think, okay, well, this is just like something like mental illness and Jesus didn't know what he was doing, right? Either that. It's either like mental illness we weren't aware of or head spinning stuff. There's no in-between, right? And before we go any further, I'm not saying like all mental illness is demon possession, okay? But some have said that when Jesus drove out demons, he was really curing mental illness. Um, and like he was just playing along with the beliefs at the time. But the whole time Jesus is on earth, he doesn't go along with their beliefs ever. He always like breaks the mold. He always says something that they're like, we don't understand that. That doesn't make sense. And we'll see that next week too. He says something that they're like, that's breaking the mold. That's actually heretical to them. But he never just played along with what they believed. He always just said it like it was, okay? And whenever they speak in the gospels of what Jesus did, they always say healed the sick and cast out demons separately. And we actually see another encounter in Mark, which I'm going to read um, because it, this is, uh, skip the, all right, in Mark 8, 14, like I said, this, they, they always say like, sometimes it says, oh, you just cast out demons. And then sometimes it actually goes into the story. And this one, that can't be right. It wasn't. All right. In Mark 9, 14, 
It says, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He said, a man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit uh, who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. So the disciples have already tried to cast this demon out. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to them. They brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed, and he fell on the ground and and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, Um, Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsing him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, and this is kind of an important part that doesn't pertain to what we're talking about, but his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. This is kind of interesting. In some versions, they've taken out and fasting. And it just says this can come only come out through prayer, which is strange to me that you would take out fasting uh, because it's obviously there. Um, In this encounter... Jesus calls it a spirit, and it's not manifesting the same way as in this other story, um, which we'll kind of get into um, some of the differences. But um, And we see other examples in, in Acts of demons being cast out. Um, now, and again, I, like, I'm not drawing, um, I'm not saying mental illness, all mental illness is demon possession. But I worked in psych for 10 years on a psych ward. I worked with adolescents. Um, I worked with adults. I've seen, I've seen mental illness that medicine has worked for. Um, but I've also seen people that something was different. Something was just different. I've, I may not look like it, but I have been in hundreds of altercations, okay? Mainly on soccer fields with other co- No. <laughs> My job was to subdue patients. Um, you kind of keep them in line and try to talk them down first. But if that doesn't work, and they're going to be a harm to themselves or others. It gets pretty pretty crazy. And there's there's been huge guys um, in which you try to negotiate a little harder. <laughs> um, but there, But some of the circumstances that were the worst and the scary, and I'm telling you, like, you might look at me and think, well... But everyone else that worked with me, I don't know how I got the job. But everyone else who worked with me was like, like one guy was like a, a linebacker. He was huge. He actually did play linebacker, tried, was in the NFL for like a minute and just couldn't do it. But so he's a big dude. 
and all the other guys were big dudes. My job was like, while they were looking at the big dudes, to like sneak around behind them <laughs> and kind of get them from behind because um, they're not looking at me because <laughs> I'm a small guy. But we, we had some people, I'm talking like small people that it's taken like 10 of us to subdue, 10 of us to bring down. And it's not like you're dealing with a person in that time. You're kind of dealing with like, it's, it almost was like a wild animal. I've had seen people, um, and, and again, this isn't the majority of cases, okay? I just want to make that clear. But I, where, and I had a video I was going to show um, of this guy slamming his head against the wall, um, and then I thought better of it. Um, but I've, I've had that happen, and, and I, I was going to show it to say I, I've seen this. I've, I've had um, someone where they're just slamming their head against the wall, splitting their head open, and I'm having my hand on their head so that they're slamming my hand into the wall rather than their head. And there's just blood all over my hand and the wall and them. Um, and, and, and it's just like craziness, but not the same as the others. Okay. There, there was some different, it was just different. Um, and nothing would work. And we, and, and honestly, when we give them meds, it's basically just to slow them down, just slow them down. Um, because we just couldn't contain them. And there were some patients, and honestly, I've been here for 10, I was there for 10 years. So I went from like, there were times when I was like, like I went in thinking, oh, you know, this is, I, yeah, I don't know anything about this. And then I went in being like, okay, this is all just medical stuff. And like, it can be cured with medicine. And then seeing things that were like, this is, this is weird. This is a little different. And noticing some trending things. Like I was a Christian and there were times that people would come after me specifically and the only difference was that I was a Christian. And, I mean, I had people that looked just like me, acted just like me. I mean, not as charming, obviously. No, but like, but the only difference was that we were a Christian. And I wasn't like saying I was a Christian or anything. They didn't know it, but they would be hyper-focused on me. I remember a situation where I walked in. At one point, I was working the night shift where it's me and an older lady, okay? And when I am say older lady, I mean probably in her 80s. And um, we're behind this bulletproof glass in the nurse's station, which they've removed now, which no one liked that idea. And so there's this bulletproof glass nurse's station, and my job is to go around at night with a flashlight, all the lights are off, shine a light in their rooms, but not just like check on them, I have to make sure they're breathing, okay? So I have to watch their chests and like whatever. And sometimes, uh, you know, they'd be like, like, oh, they're not in their bed, Ugh got to go find him, you know, and then they'd be like standing in a corner or something, which is, you know, whatever. But so, but so it'd just be me and this lady. So if anything went down, it was me. And we had these like devices, I could press an emergency thing and they say, oh, all staff upstairs, all staff upstairs. Um, but that takes some time, you know. Um, but so I walk in and there's this guy just walking up and down the hall and he's fine. And he just like, and he'd been there all day. And they had said, we've had no problems with him. And he just sees me. And I just looked at him and I was like, this isn't going to be good. This isn't going to be good. And I went in uh, the nurse's station and I went in the back and we were getting reports, which is where you're finding out about the patients and what they've done all day. And they're reporting this guy's, uh, I mean, he's not like great, like, oh, hey, how you doing? But he just hasn't been a violent problem yet. And I'm like, just thinking like, no, nah, he, there was something he saw. And, and I came to the point where I was like, there's something in him that didn't like what they saw in me. And I started just praying. I was like, Lord, Lord, that guy, 
I know that guy is going to come at me the minute I get out this nurse's station. I saw it on his face. He like his eyes were just like he was going to get me. And like he's a big dude. I was like, Lord, I need you to do something like, you know, and I know that guy is going to come come at me and I'm going to be here by myself. And just and then I hear this violent, violent interaction out there. Um, So we go out. And everyone's like, we don't, you know, we don't even know what happened. Strap this guy down. And what had happened was he had tried to get in the nurse's station to get to me. Tried to break in the nurse's station to attack me. Um, and he'd been with these other people all day. And I'm just being honest. I'm like the nicer guy. Okay. I'm like, because I'm small, you know, you got to be kind of nice. Okay. So, um, and so I know, like, I was like, Lord, thank you, Jesus. That was you. I know it was you that he did that while they were here, while everyone else was here so that it wasn't just me by myself. But there, there's mental illness, guys, and there are demonic forces. There are spirits. We see it in the Bible. I'm not talking about ghosts, okay? I'm talking about demonic forces. I'm talking about uh, spirits, okay? So they come upon a man who is demon-possessed. I don't know if you've ever been around... Um, Someone and I'm, I, who's highly volatile. Have you ever been around someone who's highly volatile? That's one of the reasons I want to show the video. Is like this guy's just like slamming his head against the wall and he's screaming and yelling obscenities, crazy obscenities. And everyone's just sitting on the train, not making eye contact. They're not laughing at him. They're not. They're just don't look, don't look, um, because they don't want to draw attention to themselves because he's highly. Volatile, and they don't know what he's going to do. You don't know what they're do, what they'll do. They could come and laugh in your face. They could come spit in your face. They could come and sit next to you and just like be like, "Hey, you're my brother." Or they could just totally attack. And so no one was looking, no eye contact, but they were all on on edge, not knowing what this person would do. Okay. Then in the video, he's crying one minute, violent the next, laughing hysterically. So. You, this is someone, and this is someone. Something I just learned in in, in psych, man. When you when I was walking down the hall, you always know where everybody is. There's no one walking behind me that I don't know where he is and how far away he is. My back is not turned for a long time from anything. Okay, my eyes are always 360, so I know what's going on. Okay, so. Um, it's very nerve-wracking, okay? Very nerve-wracking. Um, and Jesus and, and the disciples have attracted their attention, okay? So the disciples aren't going to be, they're like, oh my goodness, we've attracted this person's attention. It's in the middle of the night. We're right here in the tombs, right? He's demon-possessed. And what do we know about this man's appearance, Okay? He's, he's been possessed for a long time. He lives like a wild animal. If we look in Mark, we can see some other descriptions. I think I wrote them down, actually. Okay, so in Mark 5, 3 through 5, it says, This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For, if he, had often, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. You see that supernatural strength. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So you can imagine what this guy looks like, okay? Do I have everybody again? Okay. You can imagine what this guy looks like. Chains broken, 
um, off his hands and feet. Everyone knows he's supernaturally strong. And he's crying out and cutting himself with stones, right? So there's blood on him, dried blood, scarring. He's probably quite some sight, okay? Um, and he had uncontrollable behavior. And here he's found Jesus and the disciples in the middle of the night. And he comes to Jesus, these demons, they come to Jesus, and they say, what do you want with us, Jesus, son of God? Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? The appointed time they're referring to is Revelation 20, 10. It says, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. So they know their ultimate fate. They know their ultimate fate. But there's something else that, it, that they're saying here, which would strike fear into the hearts of the listeners, okay? They call Jesus by name. I don't know if you noticed that. I mean, he's popular. We know who he is. But they actually say, what do you want with us? Jesus, son of God. They call him by name. They know his title, son of God, okay? Now, ancient superstition at the time, there was this belief that you had power over another if you knew or said their exact name. If you knew their name, you know you knew who they were. You had this power over them, and this is probably why Jesus, they call, the demons called Jesus by his full name in in front of everyone. Oh, hey, because they know they these this these men haven't come across Jesus before, so there's this like almost this battle going on behind the scenes, and they come out and say, "Call him Jesus, Son of God," knowing who he is, calling him by his full name and title. So it might seem at first like they're not being confrontational, but they are being confrontational. They're showing their power right from the beginning by calling him by his name. This, this moment would have scared the daylights out of anyone who heard it, out of anyone who heard them say his name. And then Jesus responds in Mark 5, he says, what's your name? And he, they, they say, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. And there's more that's happening here than meets the eye. First of all, saying their name is Legion, they're trying to intimidate him and those with him, right? These are Jews. They've been under control of the Roman army. They know that a legion consists of 6,000 well-trained soldiers. 6,000. So, so this, these demons are saying, there are a lot of us. We're organized. We're a force. We're like a Roman legion. There are that many of us. It's also kind of petty disobedience not to give their name. Okay? I'm sure that anyone um, working in a place of authority and someone's in trouble that you don't know and you ask their name, they're like, my name is uh, Tim. And you're like, it took you that long to recall your name? It's probably not your name. <laughs> right? Cops are like, yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah, and you're like, all right, well, the one, per one thing I know your name is not is Tim. Um, uh, <laughs> like, it's also, so it's like petty disobedience, but also this, have, this would have made the onlookers more frightened, okay? Because they knew Jesus' name. They said his name. Oh, you're Jesus, son of God. And Jesus is like, what's your name? Meaning, or at least appearing to everyone that's there, that they had power over Jesus, but Jesus had no power over them. So no matter how powerful we thought Jesus was, we, we just saw him calm the wind and the waves, but we haven't seen him go up against something else supernatural. 
Okay, and, and coming up against, and you've got to remember, there's all these cultures around that believe in different gods. I mean, the Romans are there. So they don't know what's going on. They just know that this, this thing has said Jesus' name and Jesus did not know their name. This is like the moment to them when it's all over. But the demons, we have to take note, the demons know, they know who Jesus is. I mean, we know that because they said his name, but they know who he is because they immediately start begging to go into the swine. They're just begging to go into the swine. Just don't, just don't kick us out of the area. So even though they're kind of like trying to show their power, they know that they are subservient to Jesus, okay? They knew he was real. They knew what he could do, right? They knew he was the son of God. They knew what he could do. And they still acted in opposition to him. And we can do the same. We can know. There are people I know. They know that God is real. They knew God at some point, followed him at some point, but act in direct opposition to him. And then Jesus, for some reason, allows them to go into the herd of pigs. If you know this story, have you ever wondered why Jesus allowed them to go into the herd of pigs? Why did Jesus allow them to go into these, these pigs? That we, they asked permission, so we know that he had the power over them. He could have said no, right? But he didn't. He let them go into the pigs. So why? And, and I think their intention, just to continue to show how like petty, they're like, they're like going away in defeat, but also causing trouble where they can, right? And I think their, their intent by killing the pigs is to display their power even in retreat, to cause trouble for Jesus. And it does cause trouble for Jesus. It angers the townsfolk. Um, but I don't think Jesus was caught unaware. They're like, please let us go into the pigs. And he's like, all right, you can go. And then they kill all the pigs. And he's like, oh, I didn't see that one coming. I should have known that they were going to kill the pigs. That was bad. That was not, that was not a good look for me. Um, sorry, guys. Next time. Next time we'll get them. Uh, on the bright side, though, pigs are unclean, right? So win-win. Also, uh, I've been, uh, I know sometimes you're like, why did these people have pigs? But um, the belief is this is a Gentile area because um, the Jews wouldn't have had pigs uh, because they were unclean. So why would Jesus allow this? Because he gives them permission. He's not caught unaware. He's not an idiot. Why did he let them go to the pigs? Well, it certainly makes it memorable, right? I think the reason we have this written down, this specific instance, and there's so many details remembered, is because of the pigs jumping off into the water, jumping off the, cliff, uh, the cliffs, right? It, it, so it spread the name of Jesus further. Right? It, it tell it, the townsfolk become aware of it. It's not this isolated incident where this happens and then they go their own way, and the only people who know about it are the disciples and the men and Jesus and the people taking care of the pigs. This just like blows it up to where everyone has heard this story. It spreads the name of Jesus. But it also proves that these demons they had lived beside or lived lived with shows their intention was to harm. It's like, look, this is, this is their intent. Their intention was always to harm. You think you can compromise with them. You think, oh, they just live on the outskirts. That's fine. Just don't bother us too much. And Jesus is like, no, look at what they do. Their intention is always going to be to steal, to, steal, to kill, and to destroy. Right? We have this idea, like, and they have this idea, um, these Gentiles, like, oh, there's like good spirits and there's bad spirits. 
right? Some, or sometimes we compromise with sin, but evil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And this shows everyone what their intention is. They might have started to believe something differently about it after this, after this. Say, well, maybe we shouldn't, like, maybe we shouldn't deal with this or compromise with it or just let it be, right? But it's also proof of what Jesus had done. Does everyone believe that demons had come out of these guys if they don't watch it happen? They don't see the evidence of these men saying, let us go into the pigs, Jesus saying, okay, and then the pigs immediately running off a cliff and killing themselves. Does anyone believe it's ha- it, what just transpired did happen if that doesn't occur? Do the men who were healed and cured and delivered and set free believe in their hearts that they're all gone if they don't see them leave? For them, this is like seeing their freedom. They, they're watching them leave. They're seeing them, them leave. They know for a fact that they've been set free. Because how many of us know that we get set free from things and then we wonder, we go back and say, was I really set free? Mm. Now, I, I don't know how many times I've been somewhere and something amazing happened, like I, where you're healed, healed, and then they leave and say, well, I don't really know if I was healed. It might have just been circumstance. I don't really know if that did happen. I felt like God did that for me at the time. But the more I think about it, the more I can rationalize how it was just kind of coincidence, right? They can't do that. It sets these guys, these demon-possessed men, it sets their mind at ease. I've been set free. I've been set free for good. Every single one, one of them left because I just watched a whole bunch of pigs with them inside go die. I've never been so happy to watch so many things die as right now, right? So amazing. Can you imagine being here, What being like kind of, even if you're like skeptical, like I don't even know if those guys are really, you know, demon possessed. And then watching what transpired and watching this Jesus who we'd heard about, you'd be like, oh, he is everything. Oh, he is so much more than we thought. He's so much more than we had heard here. I'm watching him do something. Yet another thing he's never done before for the least of these, right? And so the, the people who are hurting the pigs, go and tell all the townsfolk because it's an amazing thing, right? Going like, wake up, you got to come out here. This guy just like threw all these demons in the pigs and killed all the pigs. And what was the townsfolk reaction? Was it like, these guys have been set free. This is amazing. No, they were upset. They're like, can you leave the area, please? Can you leave the area? Why? Why would they be so upset? The pigs are worth money. Pigs are worth money. No, I, I've heard some have estimated the loss of property for somebody to be around $70,000, which puts the cost for these men to be set free. There's a price here on their freedom. There's $35,000 ahead for each man. And the townsfolk didn't think it was worth it. They didn't think that each of those men, I mean, we obviously know that they didn't value the men because they let them live like that and just cast them out. Just like, I mean, obviously they tried to chain them. I don't know what they were trying to do then, but they didn't value these men at $35,000 a head. 
And it ends up, they're more afraid of the damage Jesus can do. They're more afraid of Jesus than the demon-possessed men. They had lived for years and years with these demon-possessed men in their midst, and they didn't mind the tragic circumstances that surrounded these men. I mean, these people in the town, they know these men's family. They know their mothers. They know what they were like as children. They might have said, like, man, this, they were so, you wouldn't believe what they were like as kids. They watched this tragedy unfold and gave up on it. And they're more, they were more willing to let that happen, more willing to let that tragedy happen, and more willing to live with these demons in their midst, just on the outskirts, than to have Jesus coming in and doing who knows what with his power and costing them money. Sometimes we do the same. We basically ask Jesus to leave. We ask him to leave. Demons, you can stay as long as you, I mean, just don't mess up things too much, you know, just kind of stay in your place, you know. But Jesus, you need to go. Jesus struck fear in their hearts. Why does Jesus strike fear in our hearts so much? Because he disturbs our lives. He disturbs our lives. So many times I've seen people go to something and they give their life to Christ and then you leave and you start to think, always start to think, man, did something really happen? Man, do I really need to give up this? Do I really need to give up that? Man, that's a lot of change. There's a lot of things that are required. I don't know. I need to think about it now. God was calling my heart and I, I acted, but now I need to think about it. Because what if Jesus is the son of God and everything he says is true, what does that mean for us? It means I have to change everything. What am I gonna have to give up? What's the cost? Is it too much? What will we lose? What will I lose? And honestly, we change so much to fit in. We change so much to fit in with our peers, to fit in at work, to, to get that job, maybe just to get that placement, right? You know, like what they're looking for, to advance in our careers, to appease others, to be in that, that friend group, right? I mean, how many times have, have, you, have we all been in friend groups that those people think they're a little bit better than us and we're just like, I just, I just want to be with them. You know, we don't act pathetic like that, but it's pathetic like that. I see it happen time and time again, not, not with kids, with adults, right? But we won't change a thing for God because the cost is too much, so we push him away. And in the greatest story ever, the true story, this continuing saga that we have a chance to be a part of, too often we are listed as the townspeople. We don't even know their names. We don't know their faces. We don't know who they are. Because in this story, they're nobodies. They're just townspeople. They were people who were so close and saw something so amazing, something we would all like just love to see Jesus doing in the time of Jesus doing this miracle no one's ever seen before. But they remain nameless to history because the cost was too much. They were right there watching it, seeing it, seeing truth unfold before their life, uh, lives, seeing power they had never seen before, seeing something they could not understand. And they were like, I can't understand you. You need to go away. The cost was too much. Because we always assess things in cost. Not just money, but what we have to give up, what we have to change. And these people, the cost was too much. It's a good thing for us that Jesus values, values us far more than $35,000 a head. 
Jesus places no value upon our heads because we are priceless. We are priceless. These townsfolk, they're nameless to us, but not to God. He knows each and every name of every person that was on the brink of discovery and missed it. He knows their names. And he knew the name of the men in the tombs. He knew the names of their parents. He knew their story. He knew their troubles. He knew their heartbreak. He, knew, he knows how many tears have been shed for these men. And he knew one day he was going to crash into that tragic story and change it forever. And turn those tears of sorrow into tears of joy. And turn that hopelessness into a bright new hope no one thought they would ever see. And nothing could keep Jesus from it. He values these two men that everyone had decided were worthless. He values them so much that he foregoes his ability to witness or heal or do any miracles in an entire town. He leaves the town of pretty respectable people to save these two because he valued them more than anything in the world. He didn't abandon the town because he tells that guy to stay and show them. He says, no, you need to stay because I need you to go in that town. I need you to show them over time the change that has transpired so that they will be saved too. He doesn't give up on the town. He saves the men and he still does not give up on the town. He leaves the men there to soften their hearts. Do we know our value to God? Do we know our value to God? Because so often, you might not go around feeling like you have like a, a, a money uh, sign over your head of like, this is my value, this is my worth. They always do that with like stars. They're like, oh, what's this guy worth now? He's worth $2 million, right? The guy from Boy Meets World, still worth $2 million. And you're like, well, he must have been saving because Boy Meets World has been dead for a long time. Right? And we do. We, we put the price on people's heads. And, and we might think, we might not think we're worth a dollar value, but we can feel how others value us. We can feel our worth from other people. And sometimes we define who we are by how other people treat us. We let other people decide our worth. And if we have our foundation and how much other people love us, if we have a foundation even in our family, even in our spouses, we can let each other down. And your, your value and your worth is going to go up and down based on how you're treated, based on your job, based on how people see. And then you might even hit this. You're like, man, I, 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 I was. You see so often sometimes like these like athletes and then they're in their prime and they're amazing. And then later and they get benched and then they're like a backup quarterback and you just see them like wilting and like just like their value is gone. Their value is gone. Right. And that's why Aaron Rodgers is always trying to figure out who he is and take darkness retreats and all kind of weird stuff he does. Um, he's not going to find it, Aaron. Not going to find it that way, okay? Dark for four days, that's nuts. You're crazy, Aaron. Um, the only way we're going to know our worth, our true value, is by knowing how God sees us. By knowing how much he loves us. There, there is nothing that will keep him from us. He would forego a town for us. Our value is great. We are priceless to him. 
And we need to understand that as Christians, because I know we forget it time and time and time again. We have to be reminded, like with like little songs, like Jesus loves me, this I know. We have to like kind of train it up in children because it's important. We need to know how much Jesus loves us because there's no way we can go out and witness and, and share the love of Jesus if we don't understand our value to him because then we have to translate that. And when we look at people, see their value to God. To see a man in the tombs, torn and cut up and screaming and shouting and thin for not eating and violent and saying, he is valuable to God. He's valuable to God. I'm willing to forego these things, how people see me being able to be part of this crowd, being over here so I can go to this person because he is valuable to God. And I know that he's valuable to God because I am valuable to God. And I didn't think I was valuable to God. I know what it was like when no one valued me, but still to God, I was priceless. And so we need to understand that as Christians, if we are going to go show the love of Jesus and show people who are outcast from society that they are highly valued by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Understanding that will change your life. You can be saved and not understand that. And as you give up things that cost, as God, we keep saying, oh, God draws us in and we want to know you more. The more we know him, the more he draws us in, the more we understand that Jesus loves you saying we throw around. It's a simple, simple truth, that song. Jesus loves me. I remember one time, I was just feeling really down. Uh, I had moved down here. I hadn't found any Christians, and I went and, um, to this church, and the pastor said, we're going to sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. And I started singing. I just started crying. I bet everyone around me was like, whoa. <laughs> but they just didn't know me. Oh, that's Nathan E. Christ. <laughs> yeah. Crying because of the simple truth and the power that is in it. Everyone in here has a great value to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And my prayer this week is that you'll seek him and seek that answer that you may know it so that you can show it. Know it so you can show it. Bam. <laughs> Let's pray. I don't know if you can end better than that. Uh, Lord, I just thank you so much that you love us. I just thank you that we are priceless to you, Lord. And I just pray that you would open our eyes to see your great love, that we would know how much you love us, Lord, that we can look out and see people that we might have thought were worthless or people we thought were idiots. And we could see the value over their heads, Lord. We could see that crown just waiting to rest upon their heads as you call them your children, Lord. I just pray that we could see the crowns resting on our heads, Lord, as we are called your children. I just pray that you would help us to be your children and love as your son loves, Lord, and not put a value on people other than priceless, Lord. I just pray that we would come to understand your great love and that we would come to know you more. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about The Well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.